With 75 million baby boomers marching inexorably toward retirement, it's clear that employers will need more than one workforce plan for replacing existing workers. Filling the workforce gap will be a challenge. The ranks of the Gen X workers are simply not enough, while many millennials lack the needed work experience. Foreign-born workers often face immigration challenges, while flexible or remote workers aren't appropriate for every role. We are living in a time when frustrated employers are facing shortages of qualified job applicants. After this quick break, I will be introducing Kate McEnroe, president of Kate McEnroe Consulting, based in Chicago, who for over 25 years is a recognized expert in helping corporations, as well as economic development organizations, support the aspirations of companies, communities, and individuals to be better equipped to take immediate and long-term action to improve their place in the world. I'll be right back. If you want the best tax and legal secrets used by successful real estate investors today, contact Sherry Hill, the wealth protection diva at Sage International Incorporated, a local company that's been helping new as well as seasoned real estate investors for over 23 years protect their hard-earned wealth today. To schedule a free 30-minute consultation with Sherry, Call 775-786-5515. That's 775-786-5515 to strategize with the Wealth Protection Diva today. Call Sage International. Kate McEnroe helps you cut through the clutter of people and places competing for attention in a noisy world. I read her article last month in Expansion Solutions titled The Next Recruiting Challenge and was impressed with her extensive knowledge and insight. So first, let me welcome Kate McEnroe. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Happy to be with you. So, Kate, a lot of progress in workforce development is connecting educational institutions with workforce agencies to existing and new businesses so that training programs are well aligned to job opportunities. The problem, however, is that even the best programs can't address a skills gap, something our region here in northern Nevada is desperately facing if no one is showing up to take advantage of them. So how do you help a company uh, or a community start to address this issue? Well, I think what's changed over the time that I have been uh, doing this work is the underlying demographics, which you talked about, but also the company's uh, desire to uh, change the way they participate in this process. There are fewer companies, I think, these days who are taking people directly as, I guess, what we would call raw material and wanting to do all of their training on site. However, what they are doing is partnering a lot more with community colleges and workforce development agencies. So while they may not be doing things as much internally, they may be wanting to see the community colleges that the K-12 institutions are responsible, and they may be willing to put their money where their mouth is there. So as in most cases, issue really here is what you mentioned. It's making those connections. Not all companies are aware of what resources are available in the community. Uh, And then, frankly, the other piece of the puzzle is not all people are aware of what opportunities are available in their communities as well. 
So, you know, I serve on the board of Nevada Works, which is our organization that takes all the Department of Labor dollars and we're part of the whole uh, WIOA funding and, and all the good stuff going on to really help, you know, sort through and figure out where do we implement training and who do we fund and so on. But that's just a small budget compared to the overall demand. I mean, we recently, you know, we have the largest industrial center in the world uh, in our backyard. And so with all of that came, you know, all the good and all the, um, you know, things that we need to be working on, like infrastructure and education, of course, housing and so on. And so it's just really interesting, you know, where our big wine back in the, uh, you know, worst uh, economic recession was we don't have any jobs and now we have so many we can't fill them. So when you're working with companies, I mean, that's obviously one of the first things you have to look at is, is there a pipeline of potential employees? So how involved do you help these organizations work with the higher education or trades or whatever? I mean, how do you get their attention? <laughs> well, the first thing that someone like me is doing is, you know, comparing different places and trying to see not only what their baseline workforce is, but just what you talked about, trying to assess what level of collaboration and connection already exists. And what I look for in a community uh, is a place that has understood and done some homework in trying to really deconstruct what that skills gap is. We're, we're using that uh, terminology, and it's not incorrect, but to cover a bunch of different things. So you really, in my mind, have to think about the workforce in, in three groups, current employees or current employable people, the future, which is, you know, kids, and then people that might be transferring in. So the workforce development agencies outside of the K-12 are really working with that current workforce. And one of the things and one of the ways that, you know, budgets, I think, can get stretched is if you take a look at that population of people either who are working now or who theoretically could be working, and when you look at why there is a mismatch between the people that you have and the jobs that are available, break it down into whether or not you're really talking about a technical skill problem, which is something that can be handled by training and something that can be, you know, fairly easily, um, well, simply, if not easily, determined. This person needs to be able to understand how to handle this software or this machine, but they have all the other components in place. And if we introduce them to this knowledge, they will be who we need. So that's a, a sort of a true skill gap. But then the other pieces that I think are, are a big component of the concern today are people that uh, have some different issues that some combination of public and private resources may be able to help them with. For example, there will be a group of people that may even have the right skills um, but have some hurdle to the kind of jobs that are available. It might be a transportation hurdle. It might be that they have child care or elder care responsibilities and they don't have the resources or they don't have the resources during the right times and the right shifts in order to be able to match up with the shifts that companies are offering. And then the third category, I'm sure I could split more, but the third major category these days are, I guess what I would call, um, behavioral or social issues, people who need some kind of intervention because they are disconnected from the workforce due to either disability issues or due to issues around substance abuse, um, 
and are not able to, you know, pass some of the, the screening tests. So I think the places that, you know, first of all, deconstruct that and then try to uh, send that current workforce or that current potential workforce towards the kind of services that will connect them most quickly uh, is going to be a community that comes out ahead. When you have it all, you know, kind of lumped together, it becomes very difficult, even for companies who want to contribute to the solution, to figure out exactly where they're doing it. And, of course, that's just the part of the conversation about people who are of age to be able to work today. whole different conversation you get into about the future of the workforce. Well, and then also, you know, because you're a big picture thinker, and so part of what we're dealing with right now is some of what you just addressed, but also infrastructure. And it's, so how does a community, I mean, you know, they're, they're typical for just putting band-aids on things, right? Okay, we need housing. Well, let's, let's take the last chunk of open space and put 4,900 homes on it that are still not affordable, but hey, why not, right? And so in communities that you have worked in, is there a, a good pace? Is there a way to say, okay, we just, we need to stop and reevaluate and kind of catch up with education and infrastructure before we just keep jamming and, and recruiting more companies to our area. Sure. Well, it's, you know, it's always difficult when you have growth happening to tell anybody, uh, okay, let's just, you know, sit back and digest. Uh, companies that are already in your community are going to grow. Um, you can certainly shift your resources towards supporting those communities relative to, you know, bringing others in. There are also places that are starting to, I guess I would say, expand the portfolio of what economic development means um, to include more education issues, more housing issues, more infrastructure issues. There are a few places that are popping up that are basically um, taking I guess you would call it an incentives approach. You know, we hear a lot about incenting the company to come uh, into the communities and states, and you may be for that, you may be against that, but I can tell you that there are a few communities um, that are starting to even think about incenting the, the workforce itself, the human beings themselves, whether that be, you know, trying to intervene in the housing market, market to keep prices affordable whether it is um, investing in transportation um, and, you know, mass transit, and that might be housing farther out or it might be higher density housing, you know, closer in to work. Um, so I think that all of this speaks to planning, and there's always that tension between, you know, how much do we want to centrally control um, of anything versus, you know, how much do we want to avoid the chaos that can come with growth. And the direction that you start to see a lot of places uh, take is around a little more um, master planning of communities and more inclusiveness. So to some extent, you know, that interferes with a developer's pure profit motive, but it may raise the overall um, economic health of the community by doing it. We have to go to break. I'm talking to Kate McEnroe, who is the founder of Kate McEnroe Consulting, and she's been uh, in economic development and working with companies and communities for over a couple of decades. 
And something you said, Kate, I want to pick up on because we have been really good about incentivizing companies to come here, but I liked your idea about how do we incentivize the workers. We'll be right back. SunTech Solar Screening adds elegance, comfort, and privacy to your home. 3529396. SunTech Solar Screens block up to 90% of the sun's heat and glare. SunTech Solar Screening proudly features Pfeiffer Screening products. 3529396. SunTech Solar Screening combines expert craftsmanship, attention to detail, and state-of-the-art materials to deliver a precision fit of heat repellent technology. SunTech Solar Screening adds comfort and style to your home all summer long. Call for a free estimate and you'll feel the difference immediately just by holding up the SunTech solar screen. Don't suffer any longer as temperatures soar into the 90s and 100s. 3529396. Senior citizen and military discounts. SunTech solar screens pay for themselves with lower cooling costs all summer long. Make shade while the sun shines. Call SunTech solar screening for a free estimate. 3529396. SunTech solar screening. Sage International Incorporated sparks and fuels the entrepreneurial spirit by providing the strategies, information, education, tools, resources, and ongoing support services which lay a solid foundation under the business owner's dream. Sign up for their free monthly newsletter at sageintl.com. That's sageintl.com. Welcome back, and thank you for tuning in to the Sherry Hill Show. Having a great conversation, a good discovery conversation with Kate McEnroe, who is the founder of Kate McEnroe Consulting, <clears throat> excuse me, based in Chicago. And she has been working in economic development, really helping corporations decide whether they should relocate and what's a good geography for that, or communities that, just like us here in northern Nevada, are experiencing a blast of economic growth, yet systemically it's creating chaos in its wake. However, as a good uh, you know, insight, we'll, we'll overcome what we need to overcome, but I just like the idea of talking to someone from the outside who's been doing this for a long time. So, Kate, in the first segment, you talked about the fact that you know, a lot of communities did exactly what we did. We incentivized these big, big companies to come here by saying you don't have to pay taxes for 20 years if you do this, this, and that. But you mentioned something about incentivizing the workforce. So how have you seen that done, or how, how does that work? Well, there are a couple of um, examples I can bring to bear. And, and I'm not anti, you know, incenting the companies. And I think some of the incentives to the workers, you know, can, can come from the companies as well. So I don't think that's necessarily, you know, a mistake. Let's never do that again. But I've seen a few things. Um, the state of Oklahoma, for example, has identified a very specific type of worker that its companies need to support their aerospace sector, aerospace engineers. And so they have created an incentive uh, for recruiting aerospace engineers or retaining aerospace engineers in the area. And it's a tax incentive that accrues both to the employee and to the employer, and they uh, vary the amount depending on whether or not that person is coming from an in-state school because, of course, if you are educating people in that area that you need, you certainly want to keep them close, uh, or whether you're bringing in a new family or a new person from outside. So that's uh, one example of a public sector um, incentive. Uh, 
and it kind of, you know, works for all parties. It may be something that a piece of accrues to the company and a piece of it accrues to the person. Um, I think another option that you see here and there is those very companies who are starting to have the issues with um, getting workers in. Some of them are getting in, dipping their toe, I guess I would say, dipping their toe into the transportation business. So they may be incenting um, people's commutes. They may be helping to fund different bus schedules, van systems. They may be underwriting public transit where public transit exists um, to cut people's costs and to give them a little bit of an edge in the commuting arena. Um, we have not seen as much as maybe we thought years ago. We've not seen companies get as involved, hands-on, in the child care, elder care issues. Um, they may provide counseling for their employees, but we haven't seen them do quite as much as maybe some of us thought would happen. But there have been some instances where you know, they have helped to support, for example, a, a daycare center that stays open past 6 p.m. So if you have people working uh, shifts that are, you know, four long shifts, four days a week. Um, they don't have that problem of, you know, my child has a, a daycare problem at, if I'm not there five minutes, you know, after the place closes. So you start to see some of these um, kinds of creative thoughts. There are even a few places where I have seen the public sector uh, work with a private housing developer uh, essentially to do a couple things. In some cases, to keep the cost um, of housing subsidized, not in the same way that we think of it typically as public housing, um, but to keep the price point of the house subsidized. Maybe they'll work with them on land costs. Maybe they'll work with them on some of their permitting costs. And there have also been some communities that are uh, offering direct incentives to people to move to the community. It's by far not um, the norm, I guess I would say, yet, but there are some some creative ideas um, starting to pop up around, you know, how do we support the people who are already here and get them, you know, into these jobs. The other thing I will point out, in different parts of the country, uh, it has been a major problem that enough people come to interview, but they are not able to pass either skills tests or drug tests, to be honest. And there are a couple of instances uh, now, uh, one I can think of in Ohio that is a community uh based program and another that I can think of in Indiana that is a single individual in a company where they're starting to say, you know what, if someone presents themselves to us um, and that is their issue, we're not going to just turn them away and say, okay, you failed, you're done. Um, there is one company in Indiana that has said, I'm going to give some of these people an opportunity to go to an intervention problem. I'm going to monitor them and if they successfully complete that, I'm going to find you know, a way to partner with them and work with them. There's another in Ohio that is saying to small companies who, you know, can't really afford necessarily to do, do the kind of testing that they need to do, we will help subsidize this testing. And sometimes what's interesting about this is that um, for relatively small budgets, it has an outsized, um, I guess I would say, psychological impact. Um, because sometimes I think people pull back from doing something or starting a program like that because they think they couldn't possibly afford to fund it in some completely full-blown um, manner. But I think what we're learning um, is that 
the right thing to do is not to sit back and plan and plan and plan and committee for a long time until we're confident we can do something at large scale. The right thing to do is to try a lot of things, um, kind of a design thinking approach to this. Try a lot of things, and there will be no one right answer, but there will be individual small-scale solutions to pockets of the problem. And I think that's where public-private partnerships are helpful because it may, sometimes it's difficult for the public sector alone to work in that manner. I like that idea. And I think as some of the you know, nonprofits that are working in the workforce development arena to be able to come to a company and say, look, like you said, maybe we'll partner with, you know, a drug rehab program. You know, our problem now and is, you know, marijuana is legal, right? So cannabis is legal. Right. And of course, we have major industries like mining and things where you just, you know, you're around big equipment and you can't be high. So, you know, how, how does an organization like that that's way out in the boonies that has very little population continue to capture and develop these potential new employees? And so maybe through other incentives, we'll attract those people and then they'll figure out, okay, well, what's, what's my choice? I need to make a decision, right? Improve right. myself, improve my community, or, you know, wait for the next handout. So... It's, it's an odd time in our country. <laughs> How are you seeing people dealing with that? I mean, not, it's not legal in every state, but it, how, how? Sure. Well, I think, you know, I think public policy and human resources policy inside companies is still um, evolving. I've had a number of conversations with, uh, you know, I think Colorado's maybe out in front of all of us just in terms of the time under their belt uh, to develop policy around it. And I have had conversations with companies there, um, and uh, you know they're they're dealing with it. Frankly, um, and I don't want to speak entirely for them, but it strikes me that they are taking the approach that they take with alcohol. Um, you know, they have policies that allow them to do certain testing, um, and that's kind of how they're that's kind of how they're looking at it and how they're handling it. Um, I think they're being fairly realistic. I will say I had an opportunity to talk to somebody from a state that I won't name who said, you know, don't you think that states where it's not legal will have an advantage because companies won't have to, you know, deal with all that. And I had to kind of laugh a little bit because earlier in the same conversation, people from that state where it's not legal said that one of their biggest problems was people failing pre-employment drug tests. So Legality is not something right now that is necessarily going to, um, you know, make a difference between a, a, a good labor force and a bad labor force. But it does layer on um, some issues of, of policy. Um, the other thing that becomes a little bit tricky is, honestly, not so much the recreational, but the medicinal. And, you know, to what extent do you, you know, how do you handle that? really relative more to the ADA piece of it. And, and that that's still an evolving policy arena, but I don't know. Uh, I Look, individual companies may have their preferences, but I see no widespread issues of, you know, site selectors kind of saying we are staying away um, 
from or flocking to places on the basis of where they stand on that legislation. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's an interesting time. And I think that, you know, in our region, we're certainly, you know, open minded and trying to really, as we say, address some of the, the pipeline issues of creating the workforce, the skills gap and things like that. And so, Kate, unfortunately, we're out of time. I could speak to you for a lot longer. But if anyone is interested, you have a great website, Kate uh, McEnroe, and that's M-C-E-N-R-O-E.com. She's written a lot of articles, and if you're a company or a community development organization or obviously in workforce and economic development, probably a good resource to know exists. So, Kate, thank you for being here. My pleasure. And I hope that, you know, for some of us that are boots on the ground in in the workforce arena and economic development that we start to look to other communities what is successful where maybe we can expand our own horizons and to you know ride this awesome wave that we're on without creating a whole bunch of negative wake so with that i want to thank you for tuning into the sherry hill show where business is amplified Sage International Incorporated sparks and fuels the entrepreneurial spirit by providing the strategies, information, education, tools, resources, and ongoing support services which lay a solid foundation under the business owner's dream. Sign up for their free monthly newsletter at sageintl.com. That's sageintl.com.